Philippians chapter number 1. I'll be reading verses 1 through 6. I'll be reading from the King James this morning. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Paul knows how to start a letter, doesn't he? I just put, hello. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm going to title my message this morning, A Work in Progress. If you have your Bibles, put them down, and if you've been reading from the screen, you don't have to put anything down, but would you lift your hands? God, we come before you. We come before you. Your word is anointed. I'm, I'm standing here simply asking that you would anoint me. Give me wisdom to speak what you have spoken to me. Allow our ears to hear. God, deal with our hearts. Allow us to receive what you have for us this morning. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. And everyone said amen. Amen. And you may be seated. Now that you are all seated, are you comfortable? Allow me to change that, will you? Here's what I want us to do. I want you to look at your neighbor. Find a neighbor, look at him. Come on, even our guests, I'm going to do my best to make everyone uncomfortable right away. Are you making eye contact? No, some of you are still looking at me. Make some eye contact. Let it get awkward. It's getting, it's awkward already. All right, good, good. Because I need you to repeat after me. On the count of three, I want you to repeat what I say as you're looking this person deep in the eyes. The eyes are the windows to the soul. No, this is not a Valentine's Day message. One, two, are you, nope, two and a half, are you ready? Three, repeat after me. You are not perfect. Now some of you hesitated at the second half. And then there were others in the house that it was almost like you could not wait to say that. You have been waiting 20, 30, 40 years to say that. I know what you're thinking. Now you'll be able to walk out of here and you'll be able to say, the pastor gave me permission to tell you that you were not perfect. We'll fix that here in a moment. Because none of us are perfect. That should take a little bit of the pressure off of us. As children of God, there are times that 
we feel this pressure that we have to be perfect at all times. We, we can't make a mistake. We can't do anything wrong. We, we have, at all times, we must be perfect. So take a deep breath and say to yourself, after you've breathed out, it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to say anything after a deep breath unless you release it. Now take that deep breath and after it, release it and say, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. None of us are. You don't believe me? I have proof. The dynamic duo of Miriam and Webster. I'm going to give you how they define perfect. And if you match anything that they say, you're free to go. If not, well, I'll know that you're just like the rest of us and you're not perfect either. Perfect, according to Miriam and Webster. Being entirely without fault or defect. Flawless. <laughs> you, it was men, just ladies, just so you know. It was, it was two men, both of them. <laughs> Faithfully reproducing the original. The third is simply this. Lacking in no essential detail. Complete. Given those definitions, I think I can honestly say, and you will all admit to me without feeling bad about yourself, I am not perfect. You can look at these definitions and you can understand that according to this, I am not perfect. Now, husbands, I'm going to help you out over what I just did to you. Go ahead. Lean over to your wife and say, except you, baby. See, Brother Jack knew the punchline because after that I was going to have all of the ladies say, I know. All of the single fellows, I just taught you something. Make sure when you find that person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, you let them know you're perfect for me. For you. According to Merriam-Webster, none of us can honestly say that we fulfill that definition of being perfect. Lacking in no essential detail. Complete. And what about that second part of the definition? Faithfully reproducing the original. If we are supposed to be reproducing Jesus Christ, how many of us can, can honestly say that we faithfully reproduce Jesus Christ? If He is the original, if He is the one that set the bar for all of us, and yet at the end, whenever He's leaving His disciples, He says, greater things than these shall you do also. Yet none of us can even say that we have got to His level. Anybody walked on water? Yeah, me neither. Anybody made a few fish, fishes, feed 5,000? Nope, me neither. I'm doing my best to be like him, but I still, I come short. 
when I read that definition, I, I, um, I, it's like I feel that there is a spiritual meaning to that. And so the more that I read it, the more that I prayed, the more that I studied for this message, I, I, I couldn't help but be reminded of Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. It says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. For the perfecting of the saints unto a perfect man. Both of those words, as I begin to study them, I'm, I'm like, how in the world can I tell this group of people? How can I tell them that, that I, I, I'm expecting them to be perfect when I finished moments ago telling them that none of us are perfect? Because if you go and you begin to study what that word means, both of those can be defined as complete or bringing to a state of being complete. Paul says that he is given us pastors and preachers and teachers and teachers all for one reason and that is to bring us from where we are to the place we are complete we must understand that everything that we are going through is to bring us to a place that we are more like him I'm going to throw this in right here. And yes, it's in my notes. This is not anything that is something. It's just the spur of the moment. I typed all of this out. But I need you to understand that you cannot be complete without the church. It just will not happen. You say, oh, I don't need a church. Where else are you going to find uh, all of the things that Paul listed? Where else are you going to find apostles and prophets, uh, evangelists and pastors and teachers? Where are you going to find them except at the house of God? Sure, we're going to be able to find and you might run into a preacher, you might run into a teacher, but if they're going to have access to your life, it's going to come when you build a relationship in the house of God. I'm thankful right now for church. I'm thankful for the pastors in my life. I'm thankful for the teachers and preachers. I'm thankful for the evangelists because without them, I wouldn't be where I am today. What is the standard for perfection? If you're telling us that we are striving for perfection, what is that standard, Pastor? That's an easy one, Jesus Christ. He said, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So allow me to repeat myself one more time. I am not perfect, but I'm striving to be more like Him. There's not a day in my life that I think I've already arrived. There's not a day in my life that I think I've already made it. There's got to be something on the inside of us that gets stirred a little bit and we come to the realization I am not perfect yet and I better not act like it because I'm striving to be like him and if there was ever someone 
Oh, that was not perfect. It is the writer of our text this morning and the scripture that we finished moments ago. As he sits, according to scholars, in a Roman prison cell, Paul wrote this epistle or letter to the church at Philippi. Paul the apostle writes this. Paul wrote at least at least 13 books of the New Testament. Some scholars, they, they believe that he, he wrote 14, but he wrote for sure Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus and Philemon. Scholars believe that perhaps he also wrote Hebrews. So 14 of the 27 New Testament books were penned by Paul, the apostle. But he was not born, Paul the Apostle. In fact, he was born Saul of Tarsus in approximately A.D. 5 in the city of Tarsus of Sicilia. Sicilia, it starts with a C and ends with an A. If you would really like to know what it is, I can show. Brother Bowman is pronouncing it back there. Say it out loud. Everybody hear it? I wish I could do that. I practiced at my desk last night, and I still can't do it this morning. He was born to Jewish parents. To all of our guests, oh, it, it, it gets better. <laughs> to all, he was born to Jewish parents. He, he possessed Roman citizenship. Sometime between A.D. 15 and A.D. 20, he began the studies of the Hebrew Scriptures in the city of Jer Jerusalem under the rabbi Gamaliel and, and it was here that Saul would begin an in-depth study of the law with a famous rabbi. He has been described as a Pharisee among Pharisee. Here are his own words in Acts 23 and 6. Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. He was zealous. He hated the Christian movement. Acts 9, 1 and 2, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogue, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. History tells us it's very possible that, Paul, that Saul was actually at the stoning of Stephen, Acts 7 and 58, and they cast him, Stephen, out of the city, and they stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Wait, this can't be the same guy that wrote 13, possibly 14 books of the New Testament. It, it, it can't be the same guy that we preach about and we teach about. The question we all have is how can he go from Saul breathing out threatenings to Paul sending letters of encouragement? Let's pick the story up in Acts chapter 9 and verse 3 moments before I, I read to you how that he's requested these letters so he can hunt down and bring back men and women and children. He can bring them bound back into the city. It says in verse number 3, he was approaching Damascus on the mission and a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice 
replied, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Part one of my answer is how do you go from the man called Saul to the apostle called Paul? You've got to first have an encounter with Almighty God. You're not going to get there by just learning something in a book. You're not going to get there because you've got a heritage. You're not going to get there because of how long you've went to the church. You've got to have an encounter with Almighty God. And it's not enough to say my mama did this or my daddy did this. You better get a hold of it for yourself. You better get a hold of an encounter that says I know, I know who my Savior is. I'm not here to tell us that it's all in a book. It's not all in a book. It's not all in repeating. It's not all in who you came from or anything like that. That doesn't matter. What matters is, have you had your name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life? And if you've had your name written down there, then you're just starting this journey. You haven't arrived yet. You haven't arrived until you hear him say, well done. Gotta have you've gotta have an encounter. I need to remind us. I prayed. God woke me up yesterday in the middle of the night with a song going over in my head and the scripture text going and he told me that this is what I have to preach. I have labored over this. This has been weighing me down. But I have to remind us that we were not always like we are right now. And you didn't get to where you are because of any good thing you did, but because of who he is. This isn't, I'm not standing here because there's any good thing about me. There's nothing good about me. But I want to remind you right now that where you are, saint of God, is because you had a loving father that met you at an altar somewhere and said, I'll forgive you of all of your sins. We need to be reminded that we're still in the process. We're still growing. We haven't made it yet. But where we are, Even if you were born in church and your first memories, I can some of my first memories are are the, the church in Festus. I, I remember when it had a gravel parking lot and I, I would run outside and I would play in, in the parking lot and, and I was I was an idiot, but I would go out there and you'll understand why I say this in just a moment. It's gravel, right? I've made that abundantly clear. <laughs> As a child I would take the gravel and I would throw it up in the air and I would let it hit me. It's raining. Snowing explains a lot, doesn't it, Brother Cameron? <laughs> My first memories are Spring Hill in church. I remember our old church. I, I remember the blue padded pews. I, 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 I remember how that we, we grew from there and went into the new church. I, I remember those are my first memories before anything else. Those are my memories. My memories are of being in the house of God. And maybe your memories, they go back to potlucks and prayer meetings and peanut brittle. But it doesn't matter how far your memories go back. My statement to you is this. If you do not have 
have a relationship with God, it does not matter how far your memories go. You've got to have a relationship with God of your own. And if you've got one, don't tell me how far your memories go. Show me your relationship with God. Show me that you love. Show me that you care. Let me hear his voice as your voice. Let me see your hands as his hands. here to brag about a heritage I'm not, I'm not here about those things because I don't really I don't have one like that there are some people they can trace their heritage back to the book of Acts church and I'm standing up here saying that oh I can go back maybe just a couple it doesn't matter to me because he's no respecter of persons and if I'll understand that he'll take me where I need to go I can get a hold of something for myself that's what we've got to do Bethel We've got to understand that we're a work in progress. And if we want more of God, we can have more of God. But we've got to be hungry for it. Doesn't matter how much you remember what you've been a part of. At some point in your life, you had to find a place to pray. At some point. You had to find a place and repent of all of your sins. He filled you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You spoke in tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. You were buried in His name in baptism and you came forth a new creature in Christ Jesus. It kind of reminds me of the old story of the turtle. If you see him on a fence post, you know he didn't get there by himself. It doesn't matter where we are right now. None of us got to where we are by ourselves. We all have different backgrounds. But we all came to an altar of repentance. We all have different heritage. But we all came to an altar of repentance. Why are you preaching this pastor? Because I've got to remind you that you're a work in progress. None of you have arrived yet. I haven't arrived yet. And all I could think of whenever I was studying and typing this. I couldn't help but think of the old song that I learned as a child. He's still working on me to make me what I to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. There's a line in there that is a little harder now for me to sing because now I see it with adult eyes. As a child you're just the melody. Took him just a week to make the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. That was my favorite part of the whole song. Just so you could, Jupiter and Mars. Took him just a week. As a child, week, whatever. As an adult, I'm seeing it with new eyes, Brother Jack. A week he created all of this. I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost at the age of 11 or 12. I think it was 11. So 36 years ago, he started working on me. 36 years, Brother Jack. He's been working on me. As a child, he's working on me. It took him just a week 
to make the sun and the stars. But 36 years, he's been working on me. And I still haven't got there yet. I still haven't got there yet. Some of you have been in this longer than I've been alive. And I need to remind you that he's still working on you. How loving and patient. If I'm supposed to be a copy of the original. How loving and patient. He must be. As a pastor, I need grace. As a pastor, I say he's still working on me. It was 35 or so years ago when Mike Braswell was up preaching. I remember in, in the church in Spring Hill, I remember he was preaching a message. There are people that don't remember what was being preached, but I remember the message. I remember how he was preaching. I remember how he told the story that he got the phone call from Brother Barnes, and Brother Barnes said, this is what you're going to do, and this is what you're going to say. And I remember how he stood in front of Madeline O'Hare, and they began to ask questions, and she began to say, there is no God. And he said, then explain to me eternity. And he simply told her he said for your information God is an eternal God he has no beginning and he has no end she began to curse him out and he said in the name of Jesus lock her jaws and she couldn't speak he got the microphone and began to preach it was in the newspapers it was on the radio I'm telling you that's the God that I serve and he's still working on me brother Chuck he's still working on me I remember running to the altar almost I need I need you working in my life God and I'm telling you the same God is still working the same God is still moving here I am today 47 years old almost 48 he's still working he's still working I'm still a work in progress I hope you're ready for the next point because here it comes the same grace that you give is the same grace that you will get. You don't believe me? How about Matthew 7 and 2? For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Remember that the next time a young believer does something that you don't approve of. They're a work in progress. They're going to do things that you don't understand. Because they've been somewhere you've never been. Just like you, they're a work in progress. 
Why am I preaching this? I'm preaching this because there are new converts that are coming. There are people that need to know we love them. There are people that need to know we care about them. Somebody's got to be willing to say, I'm a work in progress and I'll help you where you are to get closer to him because we're both on the same journey. It's not I'm ahead of you. It's I've already been through some things. I'll take you by the hand. I'll take up my cross daily. With the same grace. Please understand. Please understand, I'm not preaching this because I want to. I'm preaching this because God takes it serious. I ask him, please let me preach something else. Whosoever, whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged around his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. May I say this from the depths of my heart that what you say to someone matters. That's why the psalmist said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I ask you this. Are you building up or tearing down? Well, that's just the way I am. Don't give me that. I'm sorry, don't give me that. That's an excuse because you've got a heart issue. The psalmist said, let what I say and what, and what is in my heart. You look that up and it says, be pleasing to you. Let what I say and what I have in my heart be pleasing to you. Still don't think it's you still don't think it's important. You still don't think that it matters to him. Hear his own words. Oh, generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. Too harsh for you? How about the New Living Translation? It's usually nicer than the KJV. That's why I try to blend them together so everyone is smiling by the end of the service. Here we go. You brood of snakes. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Ouch. Whatever is in your heart. It determines what you say. That's why I say out of the abundance of the heart. What's really in here is what's going to come out there. That's why I say it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. 
It's nearly 30 years between the road to Damascus experience and the letter that Paul writes to, to the church in Philippi. You want to hear what Paul, who is now the Apostle Paul, one to two years after his release from prison, here are his words. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundantly in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I, of who I am chief. He said, I was a blasphemer, a, a persecutor, and I, I was injurious, or I was a violent man, and yet I still obtained mercy. But why did I obtain mercy? Because everything I was doing was in ignorance because of my unbelief. If I'm doing it now, it's not unbelief, it's a heart issue. And I didn't know what I was doing, people. But now that I do, hear me, I am still chief among the sinners. He said the Lord of the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundantly. I'm reminding you that it is by grace that we are saved. Again, hear the words of Paul. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Again, I say, you didn't get here on your own. Thirty years or more after his conversion, Paul is still saying that I am the foremost sinner. Can I tell you this morning that we better remember where we came from. We've got to remember who we were and that without him we were lost and be reminded that where we were, it's all because of the grace of God that we are where we are. And then take that remembrance and find someone that's broken. Find someone Someone that's hurt and let them know that I have been there but the grace of God that was sufficient for me is sufficient for you his grace is sufficient we've got to be reminded of this not everyone is where you are new babes they don't understand holiness they don't understand worship they, they I'm reminded of a young man young in the church he was passionate he came from a broken home and I'm not going to use the words that he used but he was going through some things with Chuck. And in prayer meeting before church, he just unloaded on the devil. 
let him know how angry he was, but he didn't say mad. <laughs> and we're just standing in there, and it was all, it was, we were in the men's prayer room. <laughs> and he has his back to us, and he's just beating on the wall. <laughs> and then he begins to weep. He says, God, I don't even know how to ask for help. And what was funny for a moment turned into a prayer meeting to where every man that was in that room, we simply surrounded that young man. And he didn't know how to pray it, but we knew how to pray it. We just began to hold him up. And as he wept, as he cried, as tears poured down his face, as his body heaved against that wall, those men of God, they took up the cross that he didn't know how to carry. And we said, it's all right, son. We're going to pray for you. It's all right, son. You may not know how to carry this burden, but we're going to. You don't have anyone in your life that's taught you how to pray, that knows what holiness is, that knows what separation is, but oh, the body does. I remember what it was like to be broken. I remember what it was like to be away from God, and I'm going to meet you where you are, son. I'm going to carry your cross because we're all a work in progress. No. They don't know. I'm telling you, I've I've been on staff at a church and there it's a group of new convert guys. About ten of them. Right in front of the doors. So this is the doorway to the church and I'm opening this side. But Steve's working over there. They always put us together because Steve liked to talk and I liked to open doors. So we were a wonderful match together. And so Steve is just standing there staring. He's not talking, so I know something's wrong. I said, Steve, people are coming. And he said, would you look at that? <laughs> Ten guys standing about where Brother Chuck, I mean where Brother Justin is. So we're not that far away. Basically just enough room for a car to come through right here. They're all standing out there smoking. Last Sunday, they were in the altars. You know what they were doing? I went out to them and I said, hey, fellas, do you mind if you're going to smoke? Go over there to where everyone doesn't have to, you know, run you over to get to the front doors. And then I said, remember, we are a no-smoking campus. We have multiple signs coming all the way up. I didn't call the cops. I didn't chastise them. You know what they were doing? As soon as the music started, Sister Leach, Sister Jan, Sister Sharon, Brother Gary, they smelled like cigarettes. You know what we were doing right beside them? Why? Why? 
because they're new babies. They may smell a little different, but such were some of you. I'm telling you, there were men that were right beside them, and they met them as they were coming in. And they, and those guys, they were apologizing. We're so sorry. We're so sorry. And I remember one guy, Brother Les, Brother Les just grabbed him and said, Come on, boys. Let's go down to the front and worship. He didn't say anything to them negative. He didn't even acknowledge their, their that they were apologizing. He just said, Boys, let's go worship. And he got down there at the altar. And Brother Les is a big old guy with a big old voice. And he just began to pray out loud. And the music started happening. What is he doing? He's letting them know I'm still a work in progress too, boys. I may not be where I need to be yet, but I'm still striving. And if you'll come along with me, I've been broken. I've been lost. I've been a sinner. I've been addicted. Can somebody say I still care? to be reminded we've got to be reminded that without his grace without his grace without his grace I wouldn't be here today without his grace see I'm not flawless I'm not perfect. I I don't I don't there's nothing about me that is an exact replica of him. My righteousness compared to his, my righteousness it's filthy rags. So the moment you think you've arrived, understand he looks at that and says, throw it away. It's filthy rags. I want a bride that has made herself ready. She's without spot or blemish. Your righteousness doesn't have a place there. Only His. I need His righteousness. I need His righteousness. If you don't understand them, it's okay. Pray for them. Encourage them because you have something valuable to offer them. You know how to pray. Oh, but I, I, I'm of a different generation. I don't relate to that generation. That's all right. Every, under, every generation understands compassion. All they want is for someone to recognize them, notice them, act like they matter. They want to be seen. Encourage them. And if you can't do that, you need to pray until you can. Those aren't my words. Those are Paul's words. 
He said, not as though I had already attained either. We're already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend for apprehend that for which I also I am apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I count myself to not, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and I reach forward unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. How's he going to reveal it to you? Prayer. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Only moments ago I told us we weren't perfect. And now Paul is saying as many be perfect. Can I tell you that that word actually translates to the word mature. He said let the mature ones. Those of you that know how to pray. Those of you that know how to worship. Those of you that understand separation. Those of you that know what holiness is. Those of you that have a relationship with God. I need you to be of this mind. I need you to care about them. And if you don't have that mind, pray until God reveals it to you. What minded oh, of this mind that we're all still a work in progress. He said, I, I, I haven't attained it yet. What do you mean? Oh, I haven't attained it yet. I'm still not there yet. I'm still pressing for the mark. I'm still striving to be more like him. I'm still pressing for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm getting ready to close. Maybe you are here this morning and saying to yourself I haven't even started yet you're, you're talking about being a work in progress but here I am just sitting here going I, I haven't even started I don't even know where to start oh you're in the right place you're thinking that he hasn't started working on you Can I help you out and let you know that he's been working on you for a very long time? Hear the words of Paul again. Good old brother Paul. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's on a cross. And he's looking ahead in time saying, I'm working on them to get there on that Sunday morning. Oh, he's been working in the background. He's been working this entire time. He died. It's not by chance you were here this morning. Your entire life he's been reaching for you. 
it starts the same way for you as it did for me. Repentance. Well, what's repentance? I don't even know what that means. That's okay. I'll explain it. Repentance is when we ask Him for forgiveness. And the word repent actually means to turn around and go another way. So when you repent, what you're doing is you find a place at the altar and you're looking this way spiritually. And you say, God, will you forgive me of everything? I ask you to forgive me. I know there are things, God, maybe even that I don't want to say these things outside, out loud, God, but you know what they are. It doesn't take a long time. And you just ask him to forgive you. And with every intention you have, then your spirit can turn around and it can go another way. And all of that sin can be left at an altar. He will fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. What is that? That is simply God coming and living on the inside of you. Well, how do I know? Oh, you'll know. Because just like I did. Just like Brother Gary did. Just like Brother Pennington did. Just like Brother Bowman did. Sister, Just like all of us that have had this, this encounter. Brother Bobby, he came up out of the water speaking in tongues. You'll speak with another tongue as the Spirit gives you the utterance. What, what, what does that mean? Oh, that just means that the Holy Ghost will do the talking for you. And this over here is a baptismal tank. It's clean. We have brand new robes that are clean. You can be baptized today in the precious name of Jesus. What does that mean? The Bible tells us that we are supposed to repent and be baptized, every one of us, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sin. We call Jesus' name over you. That old man is buried in that water and you came out. You will come out a new creature in Christ Jesus. What's awesome about it? I had to do it too. There's not one person in this house that has a confidence. See, that's where Paul's confidence is. He said he's going to, what he started in you, he's going to finish. How do I know? Because I've been there. See, musicians come. Paul said, I, I've been there. Actually, can we just do, can we just do the piano? Just, just the piano. It was this part of the scripture that God woke me up. It was 3 o'clock in the morning. It's my usual time for him to talk to me. I've told him, just like I've told you, feel free to deal with my heart at noon. No, 3 o'clock he got my attention. And it was this, this scripture. Kept going, being confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And he said, the Holy Ghost asked me, Greg, where is your confidence? Is it in how long that you can save with the church?
Is it that you've got license? Is it that you're a pastor now? Where's your confidence? He said it needs to be in the same place it was when you were 11 years old at the altar in Spring Hill, Louisiana. He said, I need your confidence at the same place as you, that you were as a little boy. Your confidence was in me. Oh, I tried to go to back to sleep, but it wasn't happening. I got up and I just wrote down a few notes. And I said, God, my confidence. My confidence is in you. Can we stand? It's not in anything that I've done. That's why if you are in this house, I can tell you with all confidence that God will forgive you of your sins. He will fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when you go down in His name, you will come out a new creature in Christ Jesus. I have all confidence because I've been there. I didn't get here by myself. No. No. I had the Sunday school teachers. I had Sister Helen. I had Sister Glenda. I had my mom. Juanita and Kevin. Oh, I, I remember my Sunday school teachers. I had, I had my pastor, Sandy Graves. He told me, if you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly son. Do everything that you've got with everything that you've got. I had Brother Trammell, Elder Brother Trammell, Brother Mike Trammell. I, I had all of the. I didn't get where I am by myself. Are you hungry for God? 
remember what it was like to be broken? Or have we been blessed so long we forget what it's like? And such were some of you. I am the chief among the sinners. Jesus. 